In the early 90s, video game developer Color Dreams was one of the first companies to break the copy protection on the Nintendo Entertainment System, enabling it to sell unlicensed games. Within a few years, they churned out less than no titles, and things were looking good until they weren't. Fearing the wrath of Nintendo, retail stores began to refuse to stock unlicensed games on their shelves. And so Color Dreams turned to an unlikely place to continue selling video games. Christian bookstores. It's an unusual place for a video game and an unusual place for a story. So join us for today's trip down memory card lane. Good afternoon and good evening. I hope these words find you well. Hello and welcome to the 80th episode of our video game nostalgia podcast, A Trip Down Memory Card Lane. Each week we take a look back at one game relevant to the current week in gaming history and we talk about it. While doing so, we hope to teach you something new about the game, what it took from the world as its inspiration, or what it gave back to the world as its legacy. This week, however, we're doing things a little different because we're taking a look back at a game developer, Wisdom Tree Incorporated. It's a developer that pretty much exclusively makes Christian video games nowadays, but this wasn't always the case. I'm David Casson, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, just a bundle of homegrown Christian good old values, my brother, Rob Casson. Rob, have you ever heard of Wisdom Tree before? Uh, I cannot say that I have, Dave. You ever heard of Bible Adventures? Yeah, I've heard of that. But I wouldn't have been able to tell you who it was by. Well, we're going to learn all about them. But before we get into that, what are you playing? Well, this week has been a little bit of RuneScape. A little more Rocket League. And Elden Ring. A lot of Elden Ring. Eh, I mean, I wouldn't say a lot, but, you know, I've been putting some hours in. How about yourself? Uh, did I log into RuneScape this week? I think I did briefly. Uh, Rocket League, Valheim, and Elden Ring as well. So, uh, I don't think I played anything else. No. Nope, nope, nope. So, so Wisdom Tree, Rob. Wisdom Tree, Dave. You know, on a recently published episode, we talked about three things that Sid Meier's considered to be the most important innovations in gaming. Do you remember what those three things were? Any of the three? Uh, SimCity. Yep, that was our episode topic. That was one of them. Uh, I think computers and like just computer having a personal computer. Yep. And then... The Nintendo Seal of Approval. Yeah, it was a weird three, wasn't it? Yeah, because they don't relate well. Well, you know, the... No, but... I don't think his his computer would have a seal of approval. (laughs) No, no, it wasn't a Nintendo computer, so... The seal of approval is, is... relevant to this week's to 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 wisdom tree to their topic for this week you know uh, Sid Meier loved it because it he felt that it helped set a standard for quality video games if it had the seal you knew it was going to be good per se you know that's why he put his own name on his games because to him the name Sid Meier was like Nintendo seal of approval. But the truth is, is that Nintendo seal of approval goes beyond that in terms of how Nintendo wanted to protect their quality, I guess is a good way to put it. You know, when, when the video game market crashed in 1983, Nintendo, they believed that one of the reasons was the oversaturation of the market with, I guess, trash. You know, and, and, and we talked about that. That that was one of the reasons why the video game market crashed. You know, there was a oversaturation of budget games and people just weren't buying games because they felt they weren't worth the money because the quality shot down, you know. Right. 
that was we talked about that during the et episode you know et is one of the games that directly led to that perspective of the market i mean um, well, yeah the game ended up in landfills of course it was trash <laughs> yeah uh-huh, uh-huh. you know people were making budget games that were no good and the seal nintendo seal of approval was the marketing part of their solution they, they felt that people could trust games that had their seal of approval but there was also a hardware part to this concept as well so each Nintendo Entertainment System, each NES, uh, the console itself came with a lockout system. It was a little chip called 10NES. So 10NES was a CIC or what we call a checking integrated circuit that basically acted as a lockout chip for the Nintendo Entertainment System. And so in layman's terms, it was basically a digital lock that was in the console and only games that had a matching key was a little chip that Nintendo sold to its cartridge game developers because Nintendo Nintendo manufactured cartridges too. So when they manufactured the cartridge, they added the key uh, chip on the cartridge and only only when the lock and key came together would would the games work in the system. You know, so game publishers would basically have to pay Nintendo to manufacture their cartridges and add said key to each cartridge. Now that's the layman's terms. If you're into the technical side, you want to know how things work. I'm going to bore you for a moment, but since I like that stuff, I'm going to talk briefly about how it works. So, like I said, each console has a chip that looks at each cartridge for an associated chip, hence the lock and key. If the key doesn't exist, then the chip in the console itself would repeatedly reset the computer in the console. Rob, you you've played Nintendo before, right? Once or twice. Do you remember how when NES games didn't work, they would flash, the red LED would constantly flash, and the game would constantly flash? If I'm honest, no, not at the moment. All right, well, anyone who has experience playing an NES knows that when a game didn't quite work, it would basically look like it was constantly resetting itself. There was a little red LED, on. there was a power LED, it was on the front of the NES, and as the games flashed you know, because they weren't working for whatever reason, it would flash too. And basically it flashed at one hertz and this chip, when it didn't have an associated key, would reset the CPU at one hertz in tandem with the LED so that the television and the system would never sync up and therefore the game would never be playable. The game would never be playable, you know? You're saying it was off by one hertz? It would basically, they'd line up with one another. It would match the one hertz of the power LED and essentially it would never let the system work because it was always just it was flashing. It was was constantly resetting the CPU in time with the LED flashing, basically. But like with all anti-piracy methods, we know there's a will, there's a way. You know, there were various ways that companies found to bypass it. Um, The one that's relevant to us today is... um, the companies would create a voltage spike that would essentially render the lock temporarily uh, offline. And if the lock wasn't there, there was that, you know, that process was avoided and the game could start. So a little voltage spike, you know, a little electrocution never hurt anybody. Yeah. Another method used was, was basically what we call a dongle. Uh, it was essentially a, a way to connect an unlicensed ca- cartridge to a licensed cartridge. And so the unlicensed cartridge would then use the lockout chip on the licensed cartridge. And then it was done with it. That's kind of cool. You can also do it like another company, Tengen, did. Tengen, which we'll talk about a little later in this episode, was Atari's uh, console games brand. Um, a lot of people don't know that, that Tengen was actually Atari. Tengen obtained a description of the code in the lockout chip from the copyright office by claiming that it was required to defend itself against present infringement claims in a legal case. And then they used the documents to design their own key, which they called the rabbit chip. Of course, Nintendo sued. Uh, it It turned into a really big court deal and eventually ended with both sides settling out of court. That's that's clever. I know, right? I know. It's so clever. 
hey, we need, we need, we need this. And then just, oh, yeah. So basically the lockout chip had three main purposes, right? Let's boil that down. It gave Nintendo complete control over the software release for the platform. It prevented unlicensed and pirate game cartridges from running on the console. And it also allowed them to facilitate regional lockout. Regional lockout is where you can only play North American games, North America and Japanese games in Japan and consoles still kind of do that to actually PC games still do that. We still have regions to this day, but the truth is, is that, like I said, when there's a will, there's a way when it comes to piracy and not all game companies were willing to play nice with the Nintendo. And that brings us to color dream. It's like a, it's like a fever dream, Rob. Is it, is it really Dave? I don't know. So Color Dream was founded in 1988 and they were one of the first companies to publish Nintendo games by bypassing a lockout chip. They used the uh, electrical jolt method. They started in 1989. They published a little title called Baby Boomer and this started a boom for them, I guess, for lack of a better word. Also, no pun intended, based on Baby Boomer. In 1989 and 1990, they published 10 different titles, including Baby Boomer. Uh, the other titles were Challenge of the Dragon, Crystal Mines, King Neptune's Adventure, The Praticus Conflict, Pesterminator, The Western Exterminator. <laughs> that one cracks me up. Wow. Robo Demons. Wonder what that one was. Uh, couldn't tell you. Secret Scout in the Temple of Demise, and The Adventures of Captain Comic. One of their more notable titles was a game called Raid 2020. It was a game that had a cyberpunk aesthetic, and the objective in the game was to eradicate drugs from the streets of America by defeating all the drug dealers. And uh, the title screen declares, Winners Fight Drugs. So, oh, I know, nice. right? That's, that's a title, Raid yeah, 2020. Winner Fight Drugs. Another notable title they made was called Menace Beach, where you play as Scooter, who is a skateboard riding hero. Go figure, right? Of missed course. A, missed opportunity there. Um, Scooter's girlfriend, Bunny, had been kidnapped by Demon Dan. Uh, it's a platformer that's mixed with beat-em-up elements. Uh, you fight against ninjas, Elvis impersonators, and surfers, among other things. Kind of weird. Men of Speech is kind of notable because it exists in a few other forms. There's one well-known pornographic hack of the game called Miss Peach World 1 Super L.A. Cop, where you play as Miss Peach, an L.A. cop who has to save a girl from a monster. And, of course, there's nudity in the game. You know, pixelated nudity. No, I mean, yeah. And then there's another version of the game that exists that we're going to talk about uh, in a little short while. Um well, Dave, just so far, uh, yeah, no, I think this is a fever dream. Yeah, pretty much, right? So despite producing, what, 10 games, I said, in all this yep. time, the sales of these games was poor. I mean, who, want, who really? RoboDemons? The Praticus Conflict? You, you know? Yeah, I don't know, man. People are into weird things nowadays. True statement. Well, back then, I guess, it, that, that they weren't, maybe. And so this led to Color Dreams creating a budget label that they called Bunch Games, B-U-N-C-H, Bunch. Uh, Bunch Games in 1990 that they used to publish even simpler games. Games that they published under the Bunch label included Castle of Deceit, Galactic Crusader, Mission Cobra, Moon Ranger, and Tag and Dragon. Oh. But the thing of it was, is that technically Color Dreams is violating no laws with their workaround of Nintendo lockout technology. There was no there was no law that says they couldn't knock that chip out. You know, I mean, realistically, the only people that were not happy with it were Nintendo, right? right. You know, Nintendo wasn't pleased that they were doing it. And mostly because they were, you know, Nintendo wasn't getting any licensing fees. They were receiving no money from the sales of these games. And perhaps most of all, Nintendo was afraid of other companies following suit because if a little company like Color Dreams could do it, then your big companies, your EAs and your broader buns and such of the world could do it too. And then Nintendo would be out a lot of money. And so Nintendo's tactic was to threaten the retailers, right? 
because they gave all the retailers an ultimatum. If you sell these unlicensed Nintendo games, we won't sell you licensed games at all. And the truth of the matter is the licensed game are what everyone was looking for. They had all the advertising, all the marketing power. They're what people came in for. And retailers couldn't afford to stop selling actual Nintendo games by Nintendo. And so basically all these unlicensed developers, uh, Color Dream and others included, were, were just, they were frankly hung out to dry. And I mean, let's be honest, they probably weren't good games, right? Have you heard of any of those games? Not a one. Not a one. So that they weren't games. And the workout wasn't always perfect. You know, there there was a story I read where one of the programmers of Menace Beach, he recalled having to talk to customers who called Color Dreams, and he had to ask these customers to read off the serial number of their NES, um, and that would allow color dreams to send them a cartridge that would actually work with their system. Apparently there were different ways that they had to work, you know, provide this workaround depending on which NES console you had. And so, you know, this is how color dreams did, but frankly, there were other companies that just, they were known for having cartridges that wouldn't necessarily work with the Nintendo system, you know? Interesting. It's, it is, it, it is actually it's it's kind of weird how it all works so in 1990 like i said you know uh color dreams had bunch games right right and it was also during this year that they began to consider someone posed the concept of producing games with biblical themes workers at color dream they saw that there was a market for them they recognized that the store that they recognized that there were stores that would sell them which were christian bookstores and these Christian bookstores were not likely to sell other video games, and therefore, they really weren't vulnerable to the same pressure from Nintendo. Kind of clever, huh? Yeah, absolutely. And furthermore, Christian bookstores were already starting to sell non-books. You know, th- this was a time where there were Christian movies, there was Christian music, you know, there were Jesus candles, I'm assuming. Uh, I know that for a fact. I have been to Christian bookstores. So there was other merchandise that that was in the Christian bookstores, and so they felt that video games had a, a place there. In order to convince these stores to sell religion games, they started Color Dream started publishing under yet another label, which is Wisdom Tree, and began to promote Wisdom Tree and itself as a publisher of Christian video games. I will say that before we delve into Wisdom Tree's catalog that it worked nintendo never did threaten any legal action against wisdom tree the reason is largely reported as and widely believed to be that they feared a giant pr backlash public relations backlash from parents and religion groups if they were going to go after the company that makes christian video games also kind of smart you know uh yeah a little bit as well So Wisdom Tree's first release was a game called Bible Adventures. It was a three-in-one multi-cart that borrowed mini gameplay elements from Super Mario Bros. 2. It's basically a a Mario Bros. 2 clone that that applies three different Bible stories. Uh, One is Noah collecting animals for the Ark. You can save baby Moses from the Pharaoh's men. You can also reenact the story of David and Goliath. Now, Bible Adventures sold 350,000 copies right from the get-go. And honestly, that's pretty good for that for then. Um, Yeah, it is. And this really encouraged Wisdom Tree to continue pursuing the path of making Christian video games. Uh, But the way they did it is they remade a lot of their old Color Dream titles. So Crystal Mines... Uh, became Exodus, which told the story of the Israelites' 40-year desert trek. Bible Adventures was also made remade into King of Kings, which now tells the story of Jesus' Jesus's early life. They also made a Legend of Zelda clone called Spiritual Warfare, which in which you, who are who is a foot soldier in the Lord's army, uh, seeks out to save the souls of the local heathen population. 
Okay. I know, right? And then there's Menace Beach. Let's round let's round it back to Menace Beach. So in 1995, Menace Beach was converted to Sunday Fun Day. <laughs> okay. Sunday Fun Day was the very last, it's notable because it was the very last commercial release of a Nintendo cartridge in the United States. Uh, shortly after Sunday Fun Day was released, the Nintendo was discontinued. So, so uh, a lot about that game. Yeah. Uh, now, I will say that before anyone calls me out, it's the last commercial release before the NES was discontinued. There were titles released after that in the homebrew. Uh, quite a few, actually. People still make NES cartridges to this day for fun. Uh, you know, you could. That's it. End of story. You can still buy NES cartridges to this day, like new games on NES cartridges. So on Sunday Funday, Scooter has to make it to church on his skateboard. While skateboarding, he holds a Bible, and instead of punching things, he spins around in his skateboard. Oh. Sunday Funday is probably one of the more violent, uh, violent games from color dreams mostly because they didn't change it too much um they didn't change it too much you know instead of saving his girlfriend scooter has to go to church it's a it's a it's a thing you know that that's definitely a thing <laughs> so there's really one other title in the wisdom beach catalog that i'd like to look at so the founder of wisdom tree was a huge fan of the Hellraiser movies. Rob, do you know the Hellraiser movies? Yes, I've seen them. At one point, Wisdom Tree paid $50,000 to acquire the game rights to Hellraiser, uh, which is a lot of money. I think this would have been nine, the, the you know 90s, early to mid-90s. Mm-hmm. Aside from this, they also paid money to license the Wolfenstein 3D engine from id, and they believed that the fast, violent action of Wolfenstein would be a great match for matching the mood of the Hellraiser movies. And so, weirdly enough, Wisdom Tree started development on a Hellraiser game for the Nintendo Entertainment System. And frankly, it was just a disaster. You know, the, the NES was too slow to be fast and violent i guess is a good way to put it the wolfenstein engine is on the pc but the nes doesn't display nearly as many colors uh and so they had all these grandiose notions of what it could be and the nes was just the hardware of the nintendo was just not up up to up to par and so their solution was to add a coprocessor to the cartridges that would allow them to basically create 16-bit games on the NES, which is, I, I think the closest concept I can relate to anyone might know is how on the SNES, they got three almost 3D graphics with the FX chips, right? Uh, sure, never heard of that, but okay. You don't remember the FX chips? chips? Uh, I, did, we, did we have one? I don't think so. Well, we have games. We had like Stunt FX and Star Fox FX. Star Fox uh, had an FX chip, didn't it? I don't recall. I just knew it was Star Fox. Six, or actually, I don't remember ever playing Star Fox on the SNES. Only ever sixty four. That's where I started. So there were there were games on on the on the SNES that were more three D, and they have FX in the title. I, I'm probably wrong about Star Fox. I'm. Someone's going to call me out on that. There were SNES games that had the FX chips. I remember one was like Stunt FX or something like that, because we actually do own that one. I just remember big like monster trucks driving around or something like that. Anyway, it upped the graphics on the SNES by having a coprocessor on the chip. The problem was is that it made the games more expensive. I, I want to say that on the SNES, it was like a $30 jump. But on here on the NES, adding the coprocessor would have made all the games well over $100, which was asking wow. a whole lot. It's asking a lot now. It was asking a hell of a lot back then. And yeah. so and so that was a problem. The cost was a problem. Also, their timing sucked because by the time they had actually had a working prototype of Hell, a Hellraiser video game, Doom was released on the PC, so that would have been 95. And there was you're not competing with Doom. 
not 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 for not the company that created that engine you know competing with the little biblical company you know what i mean right and then lastly was was the was the obvious right from the get-go um everyone felt that wisdom tree making a horror game would just clash with their image their their christian image and so that's like a duh you know Mm -hmm. and so the hellraiser project was scrapped however that prototype was actually brought over to the snes and it was redesigned with a christian theme and that would eventually turn into a game called Super 3D Noah's Ark. Oh, ooh. Sounds so, fun. Yeah, so Super 3D Noah's Ark <laughs> plays similarly similarly to Wolfenstein 3D, but instead of killing Nazis, the soldier takes the role of Noah, who is wandering the Ark, and he uses a slingshot to shoot sleep-inducing food at angry animals in order to render them unconscious. Wow. Uh, yeah, right? In the beginning, you're mostly putting goats to sleep. Uh, eventually, you come across larger animals, including large boss animals such as Ernie the Elephant and Carl the Camel. So Super 3D Noah's Ark was never sanctioned by Nintendo. Surprise, surprise. It's not like, uh, you know, Color Dreams or Wisdom Tree was going to start licensing things now. And so it basically uses the dongle system to bypass the SNES lockout chip because the Super Nintendo had a, a similar uh, system. Um, and this one's like the Game Genie. Do you remember the Game Genie? Um, not that doesn't sound familiar. So the Game Genie was a peripheral for the NES, and essentially it looked like a half cartridge, and it, it you you plugged a cartridge into it. So you plugged a cartridge into it, and then you plugged the whole thing into your NES system. And you could input codes in the game genie that would allow you to cheat. Um, that, that that's simple. You know, you could you there were whole books full of codes, game genie codes that you could put like ninety nine lives for this game, or infinite you know health for this game, or all the money in the world for this game. Um, it was basically a cheat, a physical cheat device for the NES system um, that you plugged your cartridges into. It, it was a it was a pass through for cartridges with the cheats. So. It basically would modify the code as it was going through the device, you know, between the cartridge and the and the system. Does that make sense? So it's kind of like a Game Shark. That's exactly what it was. Yeah, it was okay. a game. It was it was a Game Shark before there was a Game Shark. The Game Genie came gotcha. first. But okay. same, it's the same thing. Gotcha. That makes sense. Okay, so Super 3D Noah's Ark was basically looked like a Game Genie because you would plug. An, a real SNES game into the top of it and then plug the whole thing into your Super Nintendo and it would use the lockout chip on the licensed cart to bypass the chip, the lack of a chip on um, on the cartridge. So uh, if you're curious, a little fun fact, Super 3D Noah's Ark was released to Steam in 2015 and it's currently available to purchase for your PC for $7.99. When I looked it up, it was rated positive with 420 ratings. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you also want to play through some of their library, the Zelda clone Spiritual Warfare, that's also on Steam at the moment. You can buy either of those games from the Wisdom Tree Incorporated catalog. But I kind of want to take a little further because as we briefly talked about, Wisdom Tree was not the they're not the only company that created unlicensed games for the NES. Well, before I do that, Rob, do you have any questions about wisdom tree? Any, anything that you want me to poke at a little bit more? Uh, no, no, I think I'm, I'm pretty good. Um, I, I don't really have too many questions. Just a lot to take in. It is a lot to take in, but Hey, those positive reviews. That's right. That's, that's very right. During the Nintendo lifespan, the NES's lifespan, there were approximately 185 unlicensed cartridges that we know of. Wow. We talked briefly about, you know what, side note to that, how many total games do you think there were for the, the uh, NES? 
including unlicensed? No, uh, licensed titles. How many licensed titles do you think there are? Just to put it, if there are 185 unlicensed games during the lifespan of the NES, which was what, 19? We'll go with American NES. So 85, and it was discontinued at what I say, 95. It, so mm-hmm. 85, so 10 years roughly, right? Yeah. Because the the last licensed NES game was ninety five two, and and the you know that one game I just said Sunday Funday was ninety five. So both both licensed and unlicensed titles ended in ninety five. So from eighty five to ninety five, how many NES licensed titles do you think were released? Seventy five. You think there were only seventy five NES games? Yep. <laughs> Well, if there's 185, that's probably more than there were actual games. You so I'm going to guess 207. There's a lot more. Can you imagine, though, for 10 years, if only 75 games came out for a system? I mean, in those days, not not it's not crazy. So, so including some special cartridges like championship cartridges and uh, games that were released outside North America, things like that, there are 716 known licensed games that we know of. God damn. Yeah, right? Right? That's a lot more than I would have thought. Yeah. Clearly. <laughs> Great, clearly. So back to Tengen. In 1984, to give you a little background attention, our Atari had split into two distinct companies. There was Atari Corporation, which handled their computer and console games. And then there was Atari Games, which handled their arcade releases. When Atari decided that it wanted to legitimately enter the NES, the console market, it decided the corporation, Atari Corporation, decided that it wanted to create a new label that they called Tengen. Now, Atari and Tengen both get their name from the um, from the uh, Go, the board game, the Chinese board game that's popular called Go. I can't remember what Atari is on top of my head, but Tengen is the this it refers to the center, like the space in the center of the board. Now, when Tengen entered the console market, and everyone entered the console market, frankly, Nintendo's licensing terms were really restrictive. So we talked about how they bypassed it, but let's talk about why they bypassed it real quick. So licensees could only release five games a year. Nintendo had to handle all the cartridge manufacturing, so they had to pay Nintendo to make their cartridges, and any games released on the Nintendo had to be exclusive for two years. Wow. Kind of hard to think about nowadays. You know, two-year exclusivity and only five games a year from a developer, I guess is a good way to look at it. I mean, <clears throat> the five games a year from a developer. Okay. A lot of studios aren't really doing a lot of games in a year, but the NES exclusive for two years is kind of harsh. Like I yeah. get it. I get it. It's, it's business. It's how they could keep it and keep people coming to them. But I don't know. That it just, it's weird. It also kind of makes you wonder if that's why there are different versions of the games on NES and Genesis. Um, I'm sure that probably has part to play in it, you know, because they're not the same game. Anyway, Atari entered the console market as Tengen, agreed to these terms, and right off the bat, they produced three officially licensed games. These were RBI Baseball, a port of Pac-Man, and a port of Gauntlet. Um, but as they were making these licensed game, like we previously talked about, they were secretly hard at work with those copyright office documents to create their own chip that would bypass the lockout technology. And so once they developed their quote unquote rabbit chip, that's what it was called. They ended up releasing 17 unlicensed games, including Tetris, Afterburner, Clax, Mrs. Pac-Man, Pac-Mania, Tubin, and Fantasy Zone. Now, Tengen game cartridges are distinct because they're rounded, not squared off like a normal Nintendo cartridge, and instead of being gray cartridges, they're matte black. So they were made this way to resemble the old Atari cartridges. So if you end up seeing a black NES cartridge, 
there is a strong possibility that it's a tension game. Of course, right. And of course, we recently did an episode, which you can find on our website, www.memorycardlane.com, on another unlicensed game, which was the Action 52 cartridge. Do you remember the Cheetah Men? Yep, yep. I sure do. That that was another fever dream. That was another fever dream. So that's another unlicensed cartridge. There was one other well-known company that produced unlicensed game, and that was Codemasters. We actually, I remember Codemasters. Uh, We had at least one Codemaster game in our library. It was a multi-cartridge, and it had one game on it that was called uh, Dizzy something Dizzy. And so I did some digging and I looked it up. There is a company called Comerica and Codemaster made some of their games and they make a series called the Quattro series. And this cartridge that we had was a four in one multi cartridge called Quattro Adventure that included a game that was called Dizzy's Treasure or something like that. Codemasters, of course, unlike Atari, I guess, is still around. Uh, having been bought out by EA last year, just last year, 2021. Uh, if you're not familiar with Codemasters, they still publish a number of video game series, mostly racing. They produce the Dirt series, Grid, the F1 series that we played this year, uh, and Project Cars. Hmm. Now, like I said, Code- that. no, no Codemasters. I, I don't remember Codemasters now. I do. I remember how that multi-car i could never figure out how to play the game for starters i have no flipping clue how to beat dizzy's treasure hunt or whatever it was it was so confusing when it decided to work too multi-cartridges are all kind of weird they didn't all work um so like i said you know codemasters made game for chimerica chimerica is most known for selling the game genie along with jalub um, Comerica and Jalub were the companies that produced and sold the game Genie. They, like Color Dreams and Wisdom Tree, used that little electrical pulse method to knock out the lockout, to knock the lockout chip out of commission. Um, and their games include a bunch of those multi-cartridges, that Quattro series. Um, they also made um, a game called B-52 that we've seen, or I've seen. They made a few games starting a caveman called Big Nose, they made a game called The Ultimate Stuntman, and they made a game that we had that I loved, which was a micro machine game. Uh, the Little Cars Micro Machines. It was a gold cartridge, I remember, that you used to race micro machines around places. Like, uh, I remember racing it on an office desk, and the obstacles were like paper clips and pencils and erasers and stuff like that. So, that I don't know that I ever played this version, but I've Definitely remember playing something very similar to that, but I thought it was a Hot Wheels title. They did do a Hot Wheels title like that later on. Okay, that's probably the one that I remember then. Yeah, yeah, they did. They definitely made a Hot Wheels one. I just, uh, I I loved that Micro Machines one. It was so cool. Um, otherwise, in the unlicensed gaming category, there were a bunch of games made by a Taiwanese company called Sashin. They made games like Bingo, Chinese Checkers, and some Mahjong games. There were a few weird ones, too, that I couldn't find much info on. There was Locksmith, Jurassic Boy, which is a a clone of Sonic the Hedgehog 2. There was a game called Honey Peach, which had nudity in it. And another puzzle game with nudity called Auto Upturn. So, yeah, there was just a lot of oddities in the unlicensed game catalog. Quite. But the well-known ones were, I guess, the ones by Tengen, because they made the ports of, like, Tetris and Pac-Man, you know? And And on the other hand, one of your biggest producers of Unlicensed, definitely one of your earliest, one of your biggest producers of Unlicensed game was Wisdom Tree, who almost... And just a side note, Wisdom Tree is still around today, obviously, because they have games on Steam. They're still making... They're still making games. They did a Kickstarter for bringing that Super Noah's 3D Arc over to the PC. I think they raised like $30,000 to do it. And yeah, they're still making, they're still here, still making Christian games to this day. 
and probably the largest maker of Christian video games in the world, I'm betting. Because I'm sure other people do it. I just don't know of anyone else. So, yeah. Right on, Dave. Fun times, huh? Fun times at not Ridgemont High. You remember any of those? I, uh, no, I, yeah, no. It's, it's the NES. It's a little bit before your time. Yeah, I, I mean, I, the NES I, games I really remember were like McKids and the Marios. True statement. Zelda. Duck Hunt. Zelda. Well, I never even played Zelda on the original NES. I didn't start Zelda until Ocarina of Time on the 64. Did you ever get back to playing the SNES one? Link, uh, Link's Adventure? I, oh, the past, rather. Sorry. I don't even think I started that one. I love that's still like one of my favorites. You should go play that. It's so good. It's good in the old school, like um, a sense. I think it's hard to it'll it'll be forever difficult to compare it to Breath of any Zelda to Breath of the Wild. I think that just set such a, a new standard for Zelda games. But in terms of the old school stuff, the SNES one was excellent and well worth playing through. It's a good game. Although well, yeah. I played the one they brought the switch from the Game Boy. What was that link links in the island one? I have no idea. I didn't do a whole lot of Zelda games. I know someone else who would know, but yeah, I, I really Ocarina Awak- of Time, Majora's Mask and Link's Awakening. OK, the one they made, the one they brought over the switch. They remade it as a because it was a it was a Game Boy it was a Game Boy game and they remade it as a switch game. And it, that was excellent too so right on right on so yeah so that's it that's wisdom tree and tenjin and unlicensed nes games a lot Woo. of a lot of fascinating stuff in there huh uh yeah there was a lot of stuff there was a lot of stuff i don't <laughs> have any reviews for you today i'm sorry i <clears throat> Darn, I'm yeah. I'm so sad to not have reviews to talk about for these wonderful games. Yeah, right. I mean, I I thought about pulling you the reviews. Excuse me, pulling you the reviews on Steam for Super 3D Noah's Ark, but they're all like there was nothing good. They're all cheesy. Best Christian game ever. You know, this game's like Doom, but without the violence. Are there was nothing that really stood out. So. Isn't Doom without the violence just hell? Yeah, exactly. Good one. Well, we talked a lot about a lot of stuff today. We also talked a little bit about stuff we've covered in the past, such as SimCity, Action 52. What else? Um, there was one more thing I talked about. Um, SimCity? I you covered that. that. Yeah, SimCity and Action 52. But I know there was one more. Um, you know, that's a very great question. And one that I, I, I can't seem to find the answer to. Hey, you know, we're <clears> going <throat> to cover, uh, we're going to cover Wolfenstein later on this year. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, the point of this is if you want to check out those old episodes or you want to eventually catch a future episode on Wolfenstein, you can do so at our website, which is www.memorycardlane.com. Rob, what else can people find on our website? On our website, you may also find links to our social media, such as Twitter, where Dave underscore is underscore wrong. Good one. Yep. And Dave, what does Rob do? Rob is on Twitch. He streams as Fat Boy Rips. Did I get that right? That you did, but with an I and a Z, because I'm edgy as hell. (laughs) So you can also find what a calendar that's on there. What else is on there? Uh, You know, there's links to our discord and to our Patreon, which I mean, what's that all about? Yeah. If you want to support our podcast, give us money. I'm not going to beat it more than that. So. I mean, you're pretty used to doing that, Dave. Oh, man. Ah, ah, ah. Oh, man. All right. Well, you know, each week we try to teach you something new about the games we talk about, in this case, the developer, you know, what they took from the world as their inspiration or what they gave back to it as their legacy. As part of our commitment to teach you new things, we, we look internally and we say, hey, we learned some things, too. And as part of that, we like to share with you what we learned. Uh, So, Rob, what was your big takeaway for today? 
that there are over 700 licensed games for the NES. And almost 200 unlicensed games. So between I mean, unlicensed makes sense, but I just I can't fathom that number of games. I'm just thinking of all the NES games I know, and it's like 30. All right. Well, <laughs> I mean, yeah, that that's just shocking to me to know there's that many. I mean, I guess I just don't ever take into consideration all the titles that like didn't blow up and are huge Mario or you know the ones we had growing up, the McKids or um duck hunt or just stuff like that i'm I, you know it's like with newer consoles i'm sure there's thousands of games for most consoles but i would only be able to say like hey there's about a couple hundred because i don't know about many of them because I, they just well, aren't big i know so let, let's let, let let me poke at some and kind of and, and kind of so there were four dungeons and dragons titles released in 10 years um you ever heard of the adventures of lolo Nope. There were three of those. How about, um, let's see, the Bases Loaded series? Nope. There were four of those. Sure, it's baseball, but yeah, never never heard of it. Never saw it. Uh, Boulder Dash. Uh, that sounds familiar, but I thought that was a board game. There's Castle of Dragon. I'm, I mean, I'm just finding stuff you probably would never see. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's a great point. Defenders of the Crown. Demon Sword, Dick Tracy. I remember Dick Tracy. That was a fun game. Double Dragon. They released three Double Dragons. They released. I remember Double Dragon. Dragon Warrior. There were four of those released on the system. Do you remember Ducktales? Yes. There were two of those. Really? Yeah, really. Huh. Really. The first one was released in '89, and the second one was released in '93. Well, damn. There were two Ghostbusters titles. Oh, there were one, two, three Indiana Jones titles. Let's see the Kickmaster, the kickoff. There's just so much weird stuff. Little Nemo, the Dream Master. Do you remember that game? Uh, it does not even sound the it slightest. Was so bit familiar. cool. I love Little Nemo. I should put that down on a list of games to talk about. Hell, there were six Mega Man's released on the NES. I so. mean, yeah, I, that, I mean, like I said, I, I, I figured a couple hundred because that makes sense to me, but just, I yeah, I don't know, 750, I think you said 752 or something like that? Uh, um, yeah, something up there, 716. No, 716. Seven, that's yeah. Still, that's just, I just, I, I don't know, I would love to see a collection of one of each of them, just, oh, just so to get people, an idea. Yeah, people have them, it's great. Oh, I'm sure they do, of course. Um, and like I said, people are still releasing people are still releasing NES cartridges in 2021, a company called low tech games released a NES cartridge called tapeworm disco puzzle. Uh, okay. Yep. In 2020, uh, Jay and silent Bob mall brawl was released as a NES cartridge. Okay. That's kind of awesome. Uh, 2019 had brony blaster. There, there you um. go. Okay. And then there's a website called RetroZone, or Retro USB. Every year, RetroZone became Retro USB. Every year, they release a Christmas uh, cartridge called 8 Bit Christmas. There has been a new cartridge released every year since 2008, including 2021. A new Christmas cartridge with some little games, new games on it, Christmas style stuff. So, wasn't that an episode of the community? Something like that, yeah. I swear there was literally a title of 8-Bit Christmas. Yeah. Oh, whatever. Anyway, what about you, Dave? What was your big takeaway from all of this? Oh, all of it. I had no, I mean, <laughs> I knew, I knew, I knew that Wisdom Tree existed. Uh, Bible Adventures is the kind of thing that you just stumble across online. You kind of laugh at if you're not into that kind of stuff. And, you know, that's not entirely our thing. Um, I had heard of Bible Adventures and honestly, most of these games I've stumbled across, you know, the Noah's Ark and everything, but I, I'd never paid attention. And I also didn't know their background about, you know, being pretty much the first company to knock the lockout chip out. And even better, I had never heard that story about Hellraiser, the video game before. That was bizarre to just have this random company known for Christian games, like all of a sudden go, Hey, we're going to spend a ton of money on the Hellraiser license and make a Hellraiser video game. 
that was just weird. So, well, I mean, how can you have heaven without raising a little hell, Dave? That's exactly right. Anyway, everything. That was my takeaway. I guess if I had to pick something, it was the Hellraiser game. That was kind of new. I also had no freaking clue it turned into Super Noah's Ark 3D or whatever the heck it's called. That's kind of nifty background. Yeah, it is. That's it's kind of funny. I mean, you know, they made do just very interesting. Everything, you know, as, as much as whatever your opinion is of religion, it's still a cool concept. It's kind of amazing. And, you know, it's just a lot. It's just a lot. Have you ever heard of NES Mania before? No. We'll have to cover it in more detail. I just stumbled across it. It's kind of fascinating. So it's a project that in 2017, a speedrunner called the Mexican Runner became the first person to be documented beating all 700, and at the time it was 14, uh, licensed games for the NES. Jesus. He beat all 714 games in the project called NES Media. We'll have to look at that in detail and do an episode on it someday. I'm going to put that down in my notes. Yeah, that's that's kind of impressive. I wonder how long it took. Guess we'll have to find out. Guess we'll have to find out. Rob, before I take it out of here, anything you want to add? Well, as always, I want to take one moment to say thank you to everyone for listening. It's fun. It's great. We're having a wonderful time, and we hope that you are enjoying us as much as we are enjoying talking to you. Yes, indeedy. Thank you. Thank you. So, all right, folks. Well, next week, we're going to be taking a look at the first commercially successful MMORPG that that utilized a 3D game engine. This game was pretty much the golden standard for MMORPGs for many years before WoW came uh, around and basically took the mantle from it. Uh, released on March 16th, 1999, EverQuest is still, to this day, considered by some to be one of the greatest video games ever made and definitely, definitely, definitely deserves recognition for the popularity that it lended to the MMO genre. So next week, we're going to be taking a look at EverQuest. We're going to be revisiting MUDs. And we're going to be talking, we're going to talk about everything. So join us again next week as we take a fantasy-themed trip down memory card lane. Do the thing. Do-a, do-a, ba-do-ba-ya.